Dear Father in Heaven, we just uh, want to lift our voices and our hearts to you with praise for all that you've done for us, for this gift of time that you've given us in the Sabbath, time that we just draw closer to you and closer to each other. And today is a, a special gift to be able to uh, spend a little time learning more about how to share your health gifts with others. We ask for you to be here with us, for your Holy Spirit to impress on each heart the special takeaway message for them, the reason why you brought them here. We thank you for what you will be doing. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to 5.30 this afternoon, and we will take a break in the middle of the afternoon. I'll be presenting for most of the time, and then the last half hour or so, Katja Reinhardt is coming back um, to address another one of her topics. So as Health Ministries Director, uh, I found that there were three top reasons for discouragement in health ministries. One is people don't help out. How many of you have had that challenge as a health ministry leader? You can't get people to help you. I'm not going to talk about that today. But you're going to get that tomorrow with candy. Another reason that people uh, get discouraged is they'll say people just don't come to our meetings. How many of you have had that challenge? Several of you. And then the third one, people don't change. All this effort and I'm not seeing it make any difference. And that latter one is the one that we're going to address today is understanding how people change and how maybe another approach that we can use in working with them to help them be more successful with change. So understanding lifestyle um, change, changing our habits is not an easy process. We've, um, we've all been there. We've all tried to change a particularly stubborn habit in our life and found it rather difficult or tried to, to begin a new healthy habit and found it much harder than it seemed. So we'll explore a little bit about um, what, what makes it difficult and what are some of the, the processes to understand for successful change. You have this in your book, so I'm not going to read it to you. A little overview, an outline, and some objectives for today's session. But I'd like to start by dividing you up into pairs. If you would just pair up with the person closest to you and take two minutes to describe where you're at right now in the area of physical activity. Okay? Physical activity, whether you aren't doing anything or whether you are on the slate to run a marathon next week. Share with your partner where you're at in the area of physical activity. And you can mention any of these things on the, on the list. Just take two minutes. Okay, if we can bring our attention back this way. Just hold on to that conversation because we'll come back to it in a little bit. There's three concepts that I want to explore a little bit for understanding change. And the first one is recognizing that God is the real power behind positive change. This little model of Venn diagram shows um, where this fits in our health ministry model. We've got three circles. The Venn diagram is usually made up of three circles. And where they overlap is just as important as what's in the three circles. 
But the three circles that we have here, on the right-hand side, the blue one is our health information. This is our health programs, our, our health expos. Everything that we do that creates an awareness for where people might need to change and provides them the information they need to change. Uh, the green circle is lifestyle coaching. This is giving people um, not just the what they need to do, but how to do it, helping walk with them on this process of, of change. And we're going to be talking about that a little bit later this afternoon. But the bottom circle, the um, red one, is faith, faith in God uh, as this change agent that, that we cannot change without. And I believe that that helps health ministries fulfill a much higher purpose than um, just identifying health risks or providing good health information, like many other health programs out in our world can do for, do for people. Because in the end, what's really going to matter is, did we connect them with the Master Restorer? Did we um, impact their lives for the purposes of God? That's the biggest key right there. So one of the things that we want to do, the, the distinguishing key uh, in our health ministries, is to make sure that that piece is in there in every health program that we have, that we're connecting them with God as the change agent. Bringing cl people closer to him is the goal of our health ministry. Uh, pa another passage in um, Ministry of Healing. God alone is the one who can heal. Those whose minds and bodies are diseased are to behold in Christ the Restorer. Because I live, he says, ye shall live also. This is the life we are to present to the sick, telling them that if they have faith in Christ as the Restorer, if they cooperate with him, obeying the laws of health and striving to perfect holiness in his fear, he will impart to them his life. When we present Christ to them in this way, we are imparting a power, a strength that is of value, for it comes from above. This is the true science of healing for body and soul. There's the difference between health education and health ministry, is being able to, to link people with them, giving them simple, specific information on how God helps people change, and hearing your stories of how he's helped you change, and some of the uh, promises that you've leaned on in his word, they will... Um, begin to understand and experience him too as that agent for change. So think about it for just a minute. Let me hear some of your thoughts. What does this understanding of God as the agent for change, how does that impact you as a health ministries leader? How might you think differently? What might you do differently if you carried that mindset with you into health ministry? Well, some of the practical implications I have, um, I should have taken notes on yours because some of them are very good. But uh, one that I have is it to one of practical implications for understanding this concept that God is the change agent is that we want to encourage personal ownership for change, but we're not going to push them. We aren't here to sell them, to nag them, to push them in any way. God offers the gift of health, and he encourages us to um, participate in our healing, doesn't he? We want to be able to... Um, recognize that our role isn't to convince but to offer that same choice that we've been offered in deuteronomy 30:19, i have set before you life and death blessing and cursing now choose life so that is one practical implication in understanding god as the change agent a second is engaging the teachable moments the most 
the things that most deeply affect us, if you look back in your life, your most um, significant moments of change were not probably related to information. They were probably related to an experience or a relationship that you had. And health ministry is going to be focusing on trying to engage those teachable moments in someone's life. Being able to um, not just tell and teach, but to help people learn, help them to be able to um, learn from their experiences, to see where God is working in their life, and to be able to experience that, that health and healing and make the connections where, where he is working and, and calling them to be. Another key concept for understanding change is the stages of lifestyle change. This was developed by uh, James Prochaska at University of Rhode Island, I think, somewhere in Rhode Island. I'm not sure the name of the university. But its, it's formal name is the trans-theoretical model. It's a foundational concept that was used pervasively in the wellness field. It was actually um, begun in the field of addictions and recovery, smoking cessation, that sort of thing. But they've found many applications through the last number of years for its use in wellness, helping someone to make positive uh, behavior change. It's very simple, deceptively simple maybe, but it reminds us that people don't change until they're ready to. Bottom line, people don't change until they're ready to. And it also reminds me that behavior change isn't an event. It isn't something that happens. It's a process. So let's take a look at that process. It's a six-stage model moving from pre-contemplation, before pre-contemplation, thinking about it, before it's even on our radar zone, all the way to um, actualization is our last step. Six stages. And people are at different stages. They need different things in order to move forward in this positive uh, change. I have a handout that I'd like passed out, if somebody could help me with this. Thank you. And we're not going to go over it in detail, but it's just another reference for you. You will see here that people enter this, uh, a part that seems to circle around and then come out, these six stages. The stages of change are um, like a spiral almost, like a, a slinky, and people can recycle through it many, many times. Uh, for example, someone might think about changing and beginning an exercise program, and maybe they get a pedometer, and they start tracking their steps, and they become very conscious of their activity, and they're doing well in that area. And then they go on vacation, and they come back, life is busy, and they get disheartened because no longer are they walking like they were walking. They just got sucked back up into their old lifestyle, perhaps moving back towards contemplation or pre-contemplation. So let's talk about each of these six stages, help you understand them just a little bit better. This first level is pre-contemplation. At this stage, the person is not, it's not even on their radar zone. This is, they're not truly convinced that it's important to change. They might be totally unaware and unconcerned. It isn't that they can't see the solution, they just can't even see that it's a problem. They're not, they're not aware that it's a problem. They have no intention of changing their behavior, and often they will deny that there is a problem, although people around them might can see that there's a problem. They don't see it. They may end up at your health ministry programs. They might get drugged there. 
No, I don't. Uh, maybe somebody can go to the um, business center and run a few off. Thank you. I had like 45 of them, I, but I guess we have more in there than that. How many more copies do we need? To, what are we? How many are we lacking? Oh, so we're good. Okay, perfect. Okay. So these people, they might come because somebody nagged them, may or may not stay long. Um, they are, in short, just resisting change in their lives. They're re resisting doing anything um, different. Often, sometimes, people will label these people as being in denial. But I think a more positive way to consider them is that they just have a lack of information about their situation, their lack of awareness about them. Uh, so what we can do with these people is we can just provide a supportive context for them uh, to be able to process, to be able to begin contemplating making changes. Sometimes um, just using the phrase consider, consider the possibility um, can make a difference for them. In this little um, handout that you now all have, I've broken it down and I don't have the last stage, I have the other the sta other stages, pre-contemplation through maintenance. There's a brief description um, right underneath its title is, to me, in one or two words, the language that you're going to hear from them that kind of help you identify what stage they're in. A little sketch about where they're at, and then the goal, what the goal is for that individual to be able to progress to the next stage. Some tasks that might be helpful in getting them to be moving forward. And then your approach how you're going to approach them, and maybe even some specific questions that you can use in working with them. So this type of person uh, is needing awareness. What comes to mind as some ways that we can build awareness in a pre-contemplator? Think about your health ministry, and what could you do to increase awareness? All right. That's one idea. Now, what about for the people that aren't even going to come to a, pro a program? What other things can we do to increase awareness? A walking club? Okay. What else? Health Expo. What would a Health Expo do? Okay, different steps, different stations, that, and they might pick up some information. They might get their blood pressure checked and see that it's high and not have realized before that they have high blood pressure. Blood pressure is a silent killer that you can't feel that you have high blood pressure. All right, can you think of something else that would increase awareness for the pre-contemplator? Think about the use of your media at church, your, your printed materials. Okay. Okay, health spots, is that what you said? A little health, health nugget up front in your personal ministries time, maybe a health nugget inside the, the bulletin or a bulletin insert, um, something in your newsletter if your church has a newsletter. All these things are just little tiny ways that we can send positive messages that might build their awareness that they, um, they could possibly have a problem. Did anybody raise their hand in the back? Yes, ma'am. Okay, good. So a little positive messages. Those little glow traps are pretty small, aren't they? It's pocket size. And being able to pass them out at, at places where, where um, these, that you'll find pre-contemplators when they may not be attending church or attending your programs. Very good. So basically we want to be 
reaching these people as well, not just the people that are ready to make change, and not assume that they're going to show up in our programs, because they probably aren't. Your contemplators, so the word contemplate is meaning thinking, right? And these people are thinking. They may have been thinking for a very long time about making change. They've um, passed by your poster on the bulletin board. They've maybe written down the details for this program that you're having, and they're thinking about going. But they feel stuck. These are the people that say, I may, I'd like to, but. There's always something that gets in the way, something that's looming up big and prevents them from making change. They, I know I'd like help for my depression, but I don't think it's that bad. Or I know I should stop eating meat, but my cholesterol's not that high. Or, or I know I should stop eating meat, but my husband is a meat and potatoes guy and is not gonna want me fixing anything else. There's always a but. At this contemplation stage, the person has no definite plan for change. There's no plan, but there's the thinking of the possibility of change. There's this ambivalence. They know there's a problem, but there's something that's getting in the way. And they might be thinking about the logistics of what it would be like to change, um, how they might accomplish it. They're far from taking action. They know their destination. They know what they, they need to be doing, but they're still holding something holding them back. So what can we do to this for these people? We can um, listen, for sure, and continue to raise consciousness, just like you would with your pre-contemplator. Well, what are some other things that you think might help someone that is stuck with um, a, a but that's keeping them from making change? Yes? Maybe relate some of your buts. What? Okay, share your stories or success stories. Um, interviews up front of people that have made positive change and, and you've heard the interviews in the meetings in the evening, aren't they inspiring? They, yeah, they motivate you and they can build confidence in people to be able to change as well. Can you think of anything else that might help a, someone in contemplator, com contemplation? Maybe helping them to explore their ambivalence a little bit, weighing the pros and cons. Usually these people have, it, the con of changing is heavier than the pro of changing. They can think of the cost. It's going to cost them so much to change. What they haven't probably considered is what's it going to cost them not to change. They are thinking of um, how easy it is to stay where they're at. But what about the benefits of changing? We need to try to skew, the, tip the scale a little bit for them. So having conversations with them that explore the benefits of changing and the cost of not changing can be a helpful thing. We don't want to push these people because that's going to build resistance. We don't want to think that we need to convince them. Um, we're not in sales. We're in health ministry. There's a difference. And so um, with these people, we, we just want to um, foster that confidence to try to get rid of the butt and, and help them move forward and feel like change is a possibility. One thing though I think is it's important not to necessarily take their side and empathize too much because it's part of the change process to feel the muck that you're in. If we weren't hot or cold, we'd never go over to the thermostat and change the temperature, would we? We would just stay fine. We wouldn't even, we'd be oblivious that the temperature might need to be changed. But when we're hot or cold, we get up and change the thermostat. And the same way um, with our health behavior change, 
they need to feel that tension between where what they don't like about their um, lifestyle right now and the negative consequences that they're experiencing and where they would like to be. That tension is part of what's going to get them moving forward. Preparation is our next stage. These people, yes, sir. Interesting. That's why anxiety and depression can be useful because gets people to change. Okay, so they're protective in a way, aren't they? They're they're helping us to they're like our senses emotionally. Good. And mask it. Okay, so pain and anxiety and stress, this inner tension that they're feeling of discontent with their life is actually something God can be using to motivate them to do something different. And that's where offering hope can um, be a real good um, approach for these people. All right, our pre-contemplators, the language starts to change. I mean, our preparation people, the language starts to change. You start hearing, I will. I'm going to start doing something about it. I will start exercising on Monday. This is sometimes even called the commitment stage. And these people are feeling a little more confident. They've made a decision to do something. They're not just gathering information about their problem They're like they might have done in contemplation. They're focusing on finding a solution. Their focus is just a little bit different. And so they're starting to explore the resources and the options that they have available to them. These um, people are ready to sign up for your classes, and they might be working out the details of how they're going to pick up the kids and get home and get supper and homework done and get back to the church in time for the program. We can help these people perhaps by offering supper before, uh, have a soup and sandwich supper before our health program, or offering childcare just to make it easier for them to be able to um, move forward into, the, into action. These people are planning to take action within the next month. That's another key to identifying the preparation stage. They um, are telling others about the change, which is also another key and an important step also in their change efforts. So with these people, you, we need to realize they need to build confidence. So we, we need to help them um, set reachable goals and, and help them to be able to um, develop a, a good plan for action. Helping someone move from that pre-contemplation to contemplation or contemplation to preparation can be a huge, huge accomplishment. Because we can stay in contemplation for years. We call them chronic contemplators. And think about your own life. There's probably every one of us has something in our life that we have thought about and talked about for years that we want to do differently and we haven't done anything about it yet. We're a chronic contemplation stage for that health behavior. So many times we feel we fail if we don't get a contemplator to jump right into action. But if we get a contemplator to begin making these preparatory steps for action, that's a huge accomplishment. Because it, remember, behavior change is not an event, it's a process. Exactly. All right, action. This is the stage most of us picture with health behavior change. And during this stage, people are actively involved in their new behavior, their new habit. It, it might take a lot of energy and effort and thinking because it's not natural for them. 
they might have to be adjusting and dealing with um, some um, emotional reactions and social reactions of others around them. They're the ones attending your class, and they are um, very involved. They've, they're, they are the, it's a very busy, very busy period for them because they are trying hard. They've bought the cookbooks. They're trying to change their way of eating. They are beginning to exercise or whatever the health behavior is. The interesting thing about this stage is that only a small percentage of our participants are at this stage. Studies show that only about 20% of people are in action at any given time, yet we find that most of our health programs are geared for the action stage. So that's a big take-home thought for us to think about, that we want to not just orient our programs to these people, but to think about all the different stages and what they might need. The, the person in action, because they, this is all new, what do we need to be thinking about for them, do you think? What are they going to need? Support, absolutely. They're going to need some support. What else might they need? They might need some tools, some how-to. They need, might need ideas. They might need some accountability. They might need to, they're going to have times where, they, where it doesn't go as well as they thought it would. They're going to have lapses. And so helping to um, redefine that uh, lapse, learn from it, and move forward. Maybe even planning ahead for high-risk situations. Someone's like our, my example earlier that's been starting an ac exercise and going on vacation planning ahead for that vacation and how they're going to get their exercise in while they're away would help them to be able to continue on in this action stage. Then we have our maintenance people. They are on track. They still are changing. Usually this is um, beyond six months. Action stage is about six months long. Maintenance stage is beyond six months. This is the person that continues to incorporate these changes into his normal day-to-day -day life. It's beginning to feel more habitual. He's not having to take so much thought about it, not so much energy. Still, our support system is critical at this place because change doesn't just um, end with the action. There is a lot of, of um, ongoing work to be done. Most diets are successful in the short term. It really doesn't matter what diet you have. You can lose weight in the short term. The problem lies in the long term, and that's why people regain weight so easily because they're lacking this long-term support that is needed for maintenance stage. Absolutely. Another tool because it gives feedback. It helps them to see the progress they're making, see where they might need to change, see some patterns in, in um, where they tend to continually um, not have as much success. Tracking is a, an, excellent, um, an excellent tool at that stage. And these people, if they do lapse, if they do cycle back to a previous stage, then what we're going to do is be able to help them kind of regroup and redefine their goal based on their new stage so they can move forward again. Now, Florida Hospital has altered Prochaska's last stage. Prochaska titled it Termination. And I like Florida Hospital's um, title of actualization. This phase is characterized by someone who has successfully gone through all the phases 
And now they've met their goals, they've maintained their goals, they might even be turning around and helping others along the journey to um, make um, healthy changes. The previous behavior is no longer a temptation for them. They, they have reached actualization. And so this, these people, um, one way to continue to, to keep them on board in this stage is to actually help them, have them become champions for help. Uh, health, have them join your health ministry team, become a, a coach to help other people. And that not only um, is a great way for them to be able to share what they've learned and instill hope in others, but it just reinforces the change that they've had in, the, in their own lives. All right, what I'd like you to do is refer back to your earlier conversation that we had when we talked about where we were at in the physical activity. Touch base with your partner and see without them telling you if you can identify based on their previous conversation where they are and the stages of change with regards to physical activity. So get back in your group for a minute and touch base and see if you can peg them on where they are. All right. So how did you do? How did you do at pegging your neighbor with the stage of change they were at with regards to physical activity? How many of you felt like you got them pretty close? Okay, how many of you think you still got some work to do in understanding the stages of change? And the rest of you didn't raise your hand, so I'm thinking that maybe you're just not hand raisers. So let's, let's uh, for fun, because uh, I chose that exercise because I'm sure we have the gamut in here. Anybody in actualization on exercise? They wake up to move. They love to move. Okay, we've got a couple of you. I want you to notice not who's raising their hand, but the number of hands. So you can kind of get an idea, which is very typical often, of, of how the percentages of each category in a, in a large group can look. We had three hands for actualization. How many think they're in maintenance? They exercise fairly regularly, but it's still something they have to work at. All right, so a little more hands. We probably have maybe 10. How many in action? Okay, again, about 10. How many in preparation? All right, about three. How many in contemplation? Yes, you can be halfway because behavior change is not an event. It's a process. Yes, you can. Good question. Uh, so we had a few of you in contemplation. And anybody in pre-contemplation? Probably not. You couldn't have been here all week long and been in pre-contemplation <laughs> for exercise. So... Absolutely, it's very cyclical. You cycle back, um, and there are many times you can cycle through these stages numerous times before you eventually can uh, get to maintenance on some particularly challenging health behavior, uh, behaviors, like exercise. Okay, so what are the practical implications of this? How would understanding these stages change impact your approach as a health ministry leader in planning programs or maybe having a conversation with an individual. What's going to be different? What are you going to be thinking about? Anything that comes to mind? Don't look down at my notes. What are you thinking here? What do you think? Why would this be important to know? 
So you're going to be aware that you've got all stages and you want to do something to address each stage. Yes, good, good, good insight. Anybody else? Yes, Teresa. I need to be able to know something. Good. All right, I like that we're different because our approach is going to be different for each um, stage that people are in. Yes? Maybe after having this revelation now of this particular model, I might step back a little bit and try and assess where are these people in this system? Mm -hmm. Am I really talking to a bunch of folks who are in that actualization stage, or am I really trying to talk to folks in the contemplation stage? It can even change our marketing language. Kaiser Permanente, big insurance company on the West Coast, uh, did some marketing for a smoking cessation program for their insured because they had a large smoking population and that does drive co healthcare costs up. And they only got like, I don't know, three, two or three people in that responded to this uh, material. So they contracted with Prochaska to help them change the language and so they marketed something to those that are thinking about stopping smoking or something like that. They changed the language to target your contemplators. And they had a huge, like 400% difference in the number of people that responded to that program. So it makes a difference in our conversations. We're going to be listening to the uh, I'd like to, but, or I will, you know, this kind of um, language. It'll help in our conversations, and it'll also help as we're planning programs that will include activities for every stage, and even our marketing can make a difference. If, good point. Um, I think just becoming aware yourself of the different stages, you don't need to pass this out unless you're working with your health ministry team and wanting them to be aware of the stages. Now, that said, when I work with groups or individuals, sometimes it's really helpful to help to explain to them the stages of change because it helps explain to them why they have been successful eating a plant-based diet for years but have not been able to start an exercise program and be successful with it. it they're in a different stage of change, and they might need to take a different approach to handling that um, habit. So instead of you know, getting, jumping into action with new recipes like they might do for a cooking, they might be trying to use that same approach for exercise. I just need to do it. I need to just join the gym and go. And then they fall flat on their face back up to some of these other approaches that, them, that is keeping them from moving forward. All right, a lot to think about. Basically, the practical implications don't equate action with change. It's not the same. Um, because what we do, the danger of that is that we're overlooking some of the other critical steps that people need to take to move forward, like weighing the ambivalence, um, the pros and cons, or um, beginning the preparatory stages for action. The next one, gear your program. We've already talked about that. Gear your program and coaching to all stages, not just to action. Tailor your approach. We talked about that. People will need different things. Keep in mind that an individual is in different stages for different behaviors. And people need to move one stage at a time without skipping stages. So we want to be patient with them. Forward movement is success, not just that we've gotten people to take action. If we've gotten them, the pre-contemplator, to, to see, recognize there's a problem and begin thinking about change and move them to contemplation, we have been successful in, in, in helping them move on that in those stages of change.
The last um, concept I'd like to share with you for understanding change is recognizing two keys to readiness to change. What do you think, without looking down, that you, they are? Two keys to readiness to change. Researchers have identified if you have, both of these are high, you're more apt to be ready to make change. What might they be? Need. Okay. See their need to change? That's a good one. Definitely that would probably um, uh, occur before anybody could be ready to change. But those aren't the two, that's not one of the two keys. Motivation is one. Mm-hmm. Motivation. But somebody can be highly motivated and still be missing something. Confidence. Confidence is the second one, or self-efficacy is uh, what the researchers have uh, called it in this particular model. Motivation is there an internal process that gives them the desire to want to change, to move toward goals. They believe they're at risk of developing some kind of problem or suffering some consequence, or they want to improve their condition. Usually it's related to their values, to what's important to them. If people place a value or importance on their health and their well-being or on this particular behavior, they're going to be more apt to uh, move towards it. And then self-efficacy is their confidence in their ability to even be able to do it. To, um, and that's extremely important. The, the change has to feel like they can achieve it, that they can accomplish it. This little um, diagram kind of shows the importance of these two concepts to behavior change. Even if motivation is high, they want to, but their self-efficacy is on this side of the scale, they're not going to be as able to make change. We want to get people over here where their motivation and confidence are high, and then they're going to be more successful in change. And there are a number of ways that we can do that. Um, uh, this, uh, where is the sign-in sheet? And has everyone signed? Okay, it looks like it's... There it is. And has everyone got a chance to sign no, the sign-in sheet? Okay. I'm sorry it didn't make it. So we'll get, please um, sign it and then um, he'll take it. Get the record. Researchers found health behavior change experts three ingredients for change. Before a person can change, they need to know what change is necessary. That's the information that our health programs provide. That helps them know that there's a need. They have to desire the change, there's the motivation, and then they also have to have the tools to achieve and maintain the change. That provides that confidence they need. And there's a number of ways, we won't go through them here because we're kind of condensing this weekend's um, workshop, a number of ways we can increase motivation and confidence. And just keeping these in mind as we're working with people individually or providing, fostering motivation and confidence um, in people in our, our health programs. Again, practical implications. How would this understanding of readiness to change, people needing both confidence and motivation, how would that impact your approach as a health ministry leader? Well, one, you want to tailor your approach to what they're needing. Are they needing more motivation or are they really motivated? It's something they really want to do, but you hear that they just have had several attempts in the past that haven't been successful and they just feel defeated and they don't have as much confidence. So what is it, and, and how can you tailor your approach to get, help them build the one that they need? Keep in mind that someone may seem motivated, but they may have never explored their own personal reason to change. Just because your doctor has given you lab values that are way off the charts and told you that you need to bring them down or you're going to need to be on several medications, 
that may motivate them, but there's still a deeper motivation that if we can help them tap into, they'll be more successful. So helping people to explore their, their inner personal motivation, the why behind the change, will be um, powerful in moving them forward. And then, uh, as we said before, even if that motivation is high without confidence um, in our ability to change, success is unlikely. Want to give us a bit of a little break. Afternoons go by much more slowly than mornings because we've um, already sat quite a bit today and we had a nice, wonderful dinner. So before we uh, take a break, I'd like to hear from you of these three concepts. God is the change agent, the stages of change, that trans-theoretical model, and then the two sides of readiness to change, motivation and confidence. Which one is connecting with you? Which one was a new thought or something that... Um, seems to make sense, something of value in your health ministry. What? The stages. the stages of change. Okay, what about that seems to... That's important because you have to know that people are in different stages. Put them in a group of contemplators. Put them in a group of... Interesting. That would, that's, I would like to try that and see how that works. Now, if you look at some of the health risk appraisals, like Don Hall's materials, for example, there's often a single question or two questions that will help you peg somebody in their readiness to change. And so that probably would be the assessment tool that you're looking for. Just in a single question, you could do that. That's true. You would have to ask the question directly related to a particular um, change because they probably the fact that you're at your meeting they're probably in um, well you'll still have a wide variety but asking for the specific behavior probably would be important mm -hmm. good I, I, I'm gonna think on that some more that's a good thought anybody else what, what is your takeaway from this what we've just talked about in the last hour all three are important okay I wouldn't have included them if I didn't agree with you on that. <laughs> yes? Okay, good, good. So it's kind of changing your thinking about planning for camp meeting and what you might, might offer for those pre-contemplators. I like that. Anybody else? Yes, Teresa. You bring up a good point. We are so complex creatures that the understanding change is just one aspect. Cultural differences, personality differences, uh, learning style differences. There are so many different um, things that make us up as unique individuals. And I think Jesus was a master at, at really understanding people. And so part of of our success in health ministry might be in following his steps in really learning to understand people and being able to tailor our approach in a way that is going to reach them and where they're at. Good point. Well, I'd like to give you a little bit of a break. It's 3.30. If we could take a 15-minute break, I want to start right at um, 3.45. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com.
audioverse.org.